Hi, listeners. Welcome back to Adopting the Podcast. As always, I'm so excited to be your host for this journey. I'm Nicole Witt, Executive Director of the Adoption Consultancy, where we guide pre-adoptive parents step-by-step through the adoption journey. In Adopting the Podcast, we're going to focus on the issues, questions, and concerns you have as you get started in your adoption process. This is for people who are just considering adoption, brand new to adoption, or very early in the process who are really just trying to get their questions answered, figure out their best path forward, learn about what to expect and how the process works. In previous episodes, we've talked a lot about the adoption process itself. We've specifically covered the importance of self-care during the process and ways to best maintain and even strengthen your relationship with your partner if you're adopting as part of a couple. Today, we're going to jump ahead a bit and talk about shortly after you've adopted. Of course, everyone expects this to be an incredibly joyous time, and it will be in many, many ways. But adoptive parents are not immune to the range of emotions that biological parents feel. Post-adoption depression is very real. It's just as real as postpartum depression. And although there's still a bit of a taboo around postpartum depression, that's a condition that people are more comfortable talking about than in the past, and it's recognized as the true illness that it is. However, post-adoption depression is not. On top of that, there's a lot of guilt that can come along with it. Adoptive parents know how much time, effort, emotion, and even money they've put into becoming parents, and that to ever acknowledge not being 100% blissful 100% of the time can feel like they're being ungrateful. So as a result, I think this is a really important topic to raise awareness about. And to talk about it with me today, my guest is Caitlin Fay. She's a licensed clinical social worker, and she's co-owner of New Growth Counseling. Caitlin has worked with children and families throughout her career. The mental health of families choosing adoption and children in foster care is what brought her to therapy and social work. She opened a private practice in Florida with her friend and now business partner, where they both strive to empower parents through a mix of increasing support, fostering stronger family connection, and cognitive behavioral therapy. Thank you so much for joining us today, Caitlin. Thank you. Happy to be here. As I mentioned, post-adoption depression is real. And for a variety of reasons, it often goes either unrecognized or unreported by the person experiencing it so that they and or their loved ones know what to look for. Can you start by describing to us what post-adoption depression looks like? Sure. So post-adoption depression and postpartum depression actually have a lot of similarities. And I think it's important to remember, just as I'm talking in general, that a lot of what causes depression and anxiety after bringing a child home is due to the nature of the massive life change and not necessarily how the child was brought into our family, whether that was through adoption or biological means. And so I like to think, I don't like to think of it, but I like to think of post-adoption depression and postpartum depression being sneakier than other forms of depression. And the reason why I say that is because like, if I were to ask you to tell me 
what a depressed person looks like. We would all be able to kind of paint a picture, right? We all have that idea in our head of what that looks like. But when you're experiencing depression after you bring a baby home, it can be really difficult to tell, am I depressed or am I sleep deprived? Am right, I, right. Am, am I really I, tired? Right. Am I angry because I'm sleep deprived or am I too angry? <laughs> and also, like you said in your intro, um, you know, it's this joyous occasion. So yes, like you may be feeling incredibly sad or incredibly distressed over this life change. But then there's also these moments of, you know, cuteness or snuggles or like the things that we like to think of when we think of bringing a new, a new child home. So when you have your day, you know, from start to finish with a, with a a new kid, it's a lot of times looking like, Hey, I felt really bad this morning, but now it's dinner time and I'm feeling better. Maybe I'm not depressed. Mm, That's that's a great point. mm -hmm, And that's why it's sneaky because you're convincing yourself you're not feeling these things that you are feeling. And this goes for moms and dads. Dads get ignored a lot in the conversation around mood disorders or depression or anxiety after a a kid comes home, a baby comes home. So I have my little list here of like the top symptoms that I would have on my radar if you were my client and you were telling me, I just adopted a baby, I just adopted a child. And you know, here's, here's what I'm struggling with. The number one thing would be excessive and intrusive guilt. Guilt gets so normalized as a new parent Um, and it's, it's guilt is really toxic. We, I I think most people in my personal and professional life are experiencing clinical levels of toxic guilt. So if you are feeling guilty over anything and everything, that is absolutely a symptom of depression or anxiety. That's a really interesting point. I, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. And then, um, like I said, anxiety, depression and anxiety are like the same or different sides to the same coin. So you may be feeling a lot of anxious symptoms, which is the other thing that gets extremely normalized as a new parent. Oh, you're just going to be anxious forever. Now that you have a kid, you never stop worrying about them. That is not a hundred percent true. <laughs> um, so if you're feeling all these anxiety symptoms, they can be covering symptoms of depression. Um, and same thing, if you're feeling a lot of depression symptoms, you could be, you know, also experiencing a lot of anxiety that just, it kind of, you flip the coin and what's up today. Sort of right. So anger would be another one. Um, I think dads tend to relate to anger more, but there's a lot of women who experience a lot of anger, um, as their main symptom, uh, you know, post-adoption or, um, postpartum depression. You know, something a little more classic would be frequent crying, loss of interest and things that used to be enjoyable. I think sometimes second time parents um, tend to notice this more. Like I have a really good example of like if with your first baby that you brought home, you were going on lots of walks in the stroller and the good weather. And then you bring your second baby home. And all of a sudden, like the idea of bringing that baby out in the stroller is like climbing Mount Everest. Like that's a good sign that you're struggling in a way maybe you didn't the first time. Well, so a lot of these emotions that you're describing, though, I imagine are completely ubiquitous for, for new parents of all types. <laughs> so, so at what point do they cross that line into, you know, this is just part of the normal experience? Like you said, they can be normalized in that way to they shouldn't be normalized in that way. This is a little bit too much. 
So um, let's say you really enjoy, um, you know, getting some time outside, having a cup of coffee, right? And you have kind of hit your limit from the night before, or you guys had a really rough day with your child that you adopted and you brought home and you're like, I need to go home and do this thing that I really enjoy. That should bring feelings of anxiety, feelings of depression down and allow you to kind of restart your day or, you know, continue on with your evening and, you know, bring your mood to a, a place where you're more used to feeling. And it should kind of stay that way, right? But if you're experiencing a lot of ups and downs or, you know, you're feeling very down and nothing ever tends to bring you back up to a happy place and kind of stay there. So the amount of how long you've been feeling this Mm -hmm. and how intense is it? And then also how much is it interfering with my life? And again, I just want to say the sneaky part about post-adoption depression would be Um, If you are spending a lot of time at home, you know, with your, with your child or your newborn, that how is it interfering with my life can be a little hard to put your finger on because a lot of the thoughts are like internal, not outward. So like you may be sitting at home, you know, spending a lot of time rocking a crying baby and having these thoughts like, I hate this, you know, I, I wish things were different, you know, or maybe more guilt thoughts around like, I'm doing something wrong. I'm not a mm-hmm. good parent. And then they're easy to just kind of brush under the rug and ignore. And so I think like a lot of times those kind of quieter thoughts during those times tend to get ignored or pushed aside. So if you're having thoughts like that and you kind of look back and realize, Hey, this has been going on for several weeks now, you know, that's a good sign that, you know, it's time to maybe seek additional help or support. Yeah. I I imagine it's part of why it's so sneaky is because you don't have the comparison point, right? So like you said, if it's somebody's second child, they have the comparison point. How did they Mm -hmm. feel with the first child? But when it's your first child, you don't have a comparison point about how, how am I supposed to feel right Right. now? Or of course, I'm going to feel differently than, than I did before. So that, that is sneaky, as you say. So now that we have an idea of what to look for, people might be wondering how often this is something they, they really should have an eye out for. So how common is depression and anxiety? after becoming an adopted parent? So um, I did some Googling because I wanted to find the most recent and accurate statistics. And um, I was reminded why there aren't very good statistics on this. So if you Google it, you can find anywhere from 10% of parents to like 30 or 40% of parents. And that's a really wide range. And the reason why that range is so wide is because of, you know, things like stigma or, you know, this should be the happiest time of my life. And I mean, you know, that goes hand in hand with stigma and people aren't reporting it or people are kind of just pushing forward and suffering when they don't have to until they feel better. And sometimes they feel better, you know, after six months to a year. And sometimes they, don't feel better, but just are now in this habit of pushing forward. And so there really isn't good statistics on who and how often suffers from um, post-adoption depression or postpartum depression for that reason. And um, the statistics on fathers who experience that are even more inconsistent um, because if women aren't reporting it, men certainly aren't reporting it. (laughs) But there is more talk around both moms and dads and their experiences in that. Um, We just don't really have good statistics to back it up yet. So I would say, thinking about the inconsistency of that, don't rule yourself out as um, potentially, you know, having this problem. And not that we have to think of it as like, this is going to happen to me 100%, but you know, let's just practice being aware of ourselves and how we feel normally. So if, 
And, you know, after we bring a baby home or a new child home, if we start to notice these changes, it's kind of already primed in our brain to notice them. So certainly, even with those statistics, those are are surely underreported. So why do you think it's so common? Because this is such a joyous part of people's lives. Is it just because it's such a drastic change? Yes, that is part of the reason why. I think kind of the larger social issue here is that In the United States, we are not set up to support new families, however they are made. Our natural supports are often really small. Our access to medical and mental health care is often low and due to gaps in insurance and costs and expanding your family and, you know, on and on and on and on. And And adoptive parents especially, especially suffer that cost of bringing a new child into your family and financial strain is a huge source of depression and anxiety you know, finding good childcare, like mm-hmm. all of this, you know, it goes on and on and on. And so, yes, like that life change, your entire identity is shifting before you were um, Caitlin Faye, LCSW, you know, and now you are a parent, whether you're a mom or a dad or how, you know, whatever, whatever you are, that is a new identity for yourself. And nobody gives that enough credit for how that just jumbles you up. <laughs> And um, you're also going, especially if it's your first child, you're going from, you know, living a life that's pretty free. Even if you work a lot of hours or have a lot of responsibilities, they're still on your own time and you can control what you want to control and let go of what you want to let go of. And then you bring a baby or a child home and that entire focus now has to shift to, I want to go out to dinner tonight, but I can tell that my child has had enough. And so I need to change my plans. And that can be really upsetting. It sounds so trivial, but, or, you know, I think it's really common for adoptive families to like, be really excited to like throw that party of like, you know, we adopted and here's our our new family member and we all love her so much, or we love him so much. And that's all true. And like that event can be really overwhelming for a kid. And so like the loss of these expectations of like, I've been dreaming and planning about this for so long. And now my kid is here and I have to make adjustments. It's okay to not like that. Mm -hmm. Um, We aren't in, you know, our, our culture, our society, like doesn't like for us to feel that way or think that way. And so I think like, as Americans, you know, we tend to kind of want to reject our feelings and push them away. And so like all these things compound, you know, it's no wonder, like, I I kind of like to use the phrase, like, of course you're depressed after expanding your family. (laughs) Because like you should have feelings, you should feel sad sometimes, you should feel mad sometimes, like that's all part of adjusting. And I think some people um, are kind of, I guess, more emotionally, have higher emotional IQs and kind of have learned along the way to like go with the flow and, and kind of adapt and change. And that's fantastic. And then, you know, there's other people who um, still have some things that they could learn. And um, that's kind of where I think people get caught up in the, I, I didn't realize my life would change like this. Gotcha. Okay. So we're going to talk in a moment about getting professional help if you're experiencing post-adoption depression. But before we do, are there things that people can do to reduce the chances that they get to that point? Are there ways to fend off depression or anxiety? Yes. Prepare before the baby comes home or your new child comes home. Take the time to kind of like, and you know, talk with your partner to like think hard about yourselves and about your relationship with each other 
you know, what are our strengths and weaknesses? Do I have a history of depression or anxiety that I have never sought treatment for? How do I deal with change? Like, do I like to control everything or am I more of a go with the flow type person? You know, just kind of have those, like look inward and kind of have those thoughts. And if you're feeling like the answers to these questions are like, okay, like I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. I think we've got a lot of strengths here. I think, I think I feel good. Okay. But if you're, you know, answering these questions and you're like, oh man, like I never really thought of it like that before, that would be a really good time to seek therapy. You know, I think talking with who are your natural supports and talking more often with them about this upcoming life change. So a natural support may be your mom, your dad, your neighbor, your sister, your brother, like your best friend, just your coworker, you know, (laughs) anyone who you can trust and rely on and um, start practicing now reaching out to the people in your support circle, because it's not a joke when people say you need a village to raise a child. (laughs) And again, kind of circling back to what I was saying earlier, we don't like to do that in America. Right. It's hard for a lot of people to ask for help. Mm -hmm. Um, So start practicing now, because if you don't practice before the baby comes home or the child comes home, it's like now you're in this, this life upheaval and um, you need help and you realize you need help. And maybe you're not ready to see a therapist or you're not sure yet. And that's fine. But like, I do need two hours to just kind of be by myself and maybe my mom will come over and hang out for a bit with the baby kind of thing. Like if we don't practice that beforehand, it's going to be harder afterwards and kind of contribute to these feelings of depression. So talking with people too, who have children on whether they were, you know, whether they were adopted or not, ask them to give you real talk about what it's like bringing a baby home. And if they start with all the sunshine and rainbows, mm-hmm. they thank you and say, but like, tell me really, right, <laughs> and, right. um, you may be surprised how willing they are to have that conversation. And you may be the first person who they like felt like, wow, I I've never talked about this myself because I was so like afraid to. And I think that that will be like a really good balance for people to hear of like the joyous times and the hard, you know, this was really hard for me and my experience times. And that's just all going to help you kind of prepare ahead of time and know what you're kind of walking into. So when you do maybe have that first, like, I hate this moment, it won't feel quite so shocking. It'll be like, okay, like I know other people have felt this way. And that in itself is a huge protective factor for things like depression and anxiety. Okay. Okay. Very helpful. So if people are not experiencing as many of the ups to offset the downs or they're, uh-huh. you know, or it's going on for, for weeks and, and so on. Um, and they realize that they really could benefit from some professional help. What is the most effective way to find an adoption competent therapist? Good old Google. <laughs> you can search adoption competent therapists. Um, there's a website called psychologytoday.com. That is, it's kind of like a clearinghouse for, you know, I mean, most therapists are on there and you can filter through um, the different therapists on the site and see pictures of them and read their bios. I checked it out before I hopped on here. So I would have good directions to give people. And there is one of the filters they have is called pregnancy, prenatal, postpartum. And obviously that doesn't say adoption in there anywhere. But what I was finding as I was scrolling through the different therapists listed is that all of them focus on the transition into parenthood. So um, is that title not super inclusive? It's not, but, but you would find, you know, people who specialize in what you are looking for as um, a parent who's maybe experiencing post-adoption depression. 
And then you can always ask someone if you know, a, like people are getting more and more open about the fact that they're seeing a therapist. Right. So, um, you know, if you know someone who is seeing, like, you know, who is seeing a therapist, ask them how they like their therapist, ask them what kind of things they work with. And um, that can oftentimes help us find a good one quicker. So yeah, that would be my, that would be my advice on how to find that therapist. Okay. So then once they find somebody, what might that help look like? In other words, what can they expect from therapy sessions? When they um, expect to feel nervous before you go, <laughs> and it's okay to be nervous. The person you meet with, you should feel comfortable with. And if you don't, or like after the session, you're feeling like, I would say after a couple sessions, you're like, I don't know if this is really working. Don't ever, ever, ever feel like you can't switch. The therapist is probably going to ask a lot of questions the first session or two, but you, the client, should definitely be doing most of the talking. If you've got a therapist that's not letting you have any airtime, that's not a good sign. So the basis of talk therapy, you know, centers around helping people like see their patterns in their behavior and thinking, and then helping a client reframe those harmful thoughts and behaviors. So if you're experiencing post-adoption depression, you like say we're having a lot of sneaky thoughts, sneaky feelings that we're trying to make sense of like, you know, you yourself are not going to be able to see these patterns, or sometimes we get very stuck in it's always bad. And it's not always bad, but we can't see it. Right. And so like, that's a big part of therapy is helping you see the patterns, the good times, the bad times, and kind of making sense of all of them. Um, so you should expect just to come in and kind of talk about what you've been seeing and feeling and, you know, all of this, and the therapist is going to do the work for you. Oh, they're also going to kind of poke around at what the root cause of this depression and anxiety has been, is. And, you know, a lot of people experience these symptoms of depression since, you know, they were teenagers and they kind of just got in this habit of like pushing along and pushing along. So you may be surprised um, if that, you know, how far back um, the root of these feelings may go. And yeah, this big life change is kind of what kicked it off from I'm managing it every day to now I'm not. The thing that my clients usually tell me is the best part about therapy is that it's like the only time in their lives that they get to go and just talk about their stuff and they don't have to hear the other person. <laughs> because, you know, the therapist shouldn't be like, oh, same here. Or like, well, when that happened to me, I did this. And that's what our friends do, right? And that's great when it's your friend. But when you're having, you know, like clinical symptoms of depression and anxiety, that is your time. And they're like, it's so freeing just being able to come here and just get to talk about my stuff. Right. And then you know, and it's kind of all in this safe space and it doesn't follow me out the door. And so I share that because I think it's hard for people to envision, you know, what therapy looks like before they get here. And um, a lot of times um, I think that stops people from coming, especially like the thought of, um, oh, like I'm not, a, I'm not depressed enough. I don't want to waste anyone's time. And, you know, please just try and get that thought out of your head. If you're feeling that thought there is, or thinking that thought there is no such thing as I'm not depressed enough, or I'm not anxious enough. Go talk to someone. If you're feeling in your heart, it's what you need. That's a really important tip. And, and, and also something you said is, is a great segue. So we know that infertility and adoption are 
draining in, in many ways, including financially, which you've already alluded to. And parenting takes up every moment of spare time that mm-hmm. one might have. So I imagine the time and financial commitment might really keep people from seeking help. Um, so what might they realistically be looking at from that perspective in order to get back to a place of mental wellness? What do they need to be willing and able to invest time-wise and money-wise? So there is actually a lot of really creative ways to kind of get you feeling better. You know, let's say like you're in a place where you have a newborn and it's colicky and you just cannot imagine leaving your house at the moment, right? To start therapy. So in our post-COVID world, I'm not sure if we are post-COVID yet, but telehealth is more accessible than it's ever been. And for like a, a new parent, I really like this idea because it could be as simple as Hey, like, you know, my, like asking your neighbor to pop over for mm-hmm. two hours. So you can just hop on your session and you know, you don't have to shower. You don't have to get dressed. Like, right. Just like you pop in the other room and do your therapy and go back um, or your mom, you know, whoever is your natural support. So that's one way there are, I think like an awesome cost-effective way that not everyone knows about is there are many, many private practices out there who utilize interns. So these interns are new and they're learning and they are under supervision, which is the important part here. So okay. I think people wonder like, oh, are they going to be a good enough therapist? And, um, you know, they may um, not be as quick to pick up on certain things as other therapists, but they are under supervision. So <laughs> they have to go every week and meet with their supervisor and run through like, hey, this happened in therapy and I'm struggling how to help this person and this very experienced person is going to be able to help and guide them. So interns sometimes cost as low as $25. I've heard of interns that are 100% free. That can take a little time to find where those people are though. So that would be a good thing where let's say you are like, Hey, like I have a history of anxiety and depression. I want to prepare for, you know, this post-adoption experience just in case. I would like kind of Google around and see, you know, the local practices in your area and, you know, send them some emails or inquiries and see if they offer, it's called like sliding fee, which would be like reduced rates. Or um, if they offer interns at like a greatly reduced cost and just write those numbers down. So if you need them later, they're there and you don't need to, you know, spend two hours Googling and sending inquiries with a screaming baby or you know, or a child who's adjusting to the transition to your home and they're just handy and they're there when you need them. So I think like using interns is something that most people like don't um, know about or think of unless they kind of happen to stumble upon them. (laughs) The other thing that I think is a little controversial um, for some people, and I know that this is many people are feel very uninterested in starting this, but medication can be a really great way to find relief from like intrusive thoughts or guilty thoughts or angry feelings quickly. And, um, in a way that's really, you know, easy on your body, like, you know, like Zoloft in particular starts off at like a very low dose. And for most people, you know, they just start at that first dose and they instantly, you know, as soon as the medicine kicks in in one to two weeks, feel you know enough relief where they're like managing again. And as they, you know, kind of get used to, um, you know, being a parent and, you know, navigating this life change and their new identity and all of that, typically within like six months, they can kind of talk to their doctor about stopping. Usually when the baby's sleeping through the night a little more, what I'm trying to say is you don't have to be on it forever. And I think that some people feel that way. Like if I start an antidepressant, it's going to be years before I can get off of it. 
it is not, you know, an addictive drug. It's not something like that. Um, and it's very cheap. <laughs> you know, I, I had one client tell me that their Zoloft prescription in particular cost them $1.08 for a 30 day supply. So wow. um, yeah. So if it's, you know, if we're talking about a situation where like, it is no longer in my budget for therapy and there's no, you know, these kind of sliding fee or, you know, free interns in my area, that would be something I would definitely, you know, consider talking to your doctor about. Um, and a lot of doctors, when they know you're bringing a baby or a new child home, consider that basis enough to send you home with a prescription for Zoloft and it's there if you need it. Okay. <laughs> um, and we can feel about that, how we feel about that. But uh, it's just something to think about. And, um, you know, there's no shame in utilizing that as opposed to talk therapy, if that's what is fitting your lifestyle and your budget best at this point in time. Okay. Okay. Great, great information. So now, now that we've spoken generally, I, I'd like to dig deeper into some more specific situations. So if an adopted baby or child has extra medical needs, does that increase the likelihood that the adoptive parents experience depression? It can. So all the things that we kind of talked about, you know, the different things to look out for, the importance of planning and getting used to um, asking for help using your natural supports. Actually, you said it in your intro, but I don't think I mentioned it at all. Um, practicing self-care before a baby comes home. Mm -hmm. These things become much more important if you know that you are hoping to, you know, open your heart to um, a child who may have been exposed to drugs or alcohol or, you know, a child who may have like some PTSD from, you know, their past like lived experiences, practicing these things before kind of becomes like doubly important because these are all skills that you will need when raising a special needs child. And that goes again for adoptive families or families who, you know, gave birth to a child who has special needs. These skills are important to maintain, you know, your own levels of functioning, your own mental health, your own happiness, because there are joyous moments and you'd still get these happy times with kids with special needs. But if we don't, as parents, know how to put the oxygen mask on ourselves first, like when you're on a plane before you turn around and help your child, um, you know, it's the kind of like the easiest way I know how to say it is like it, it will it will completely drain you. And like so you need to be able to take care of yourself and use these skills and be in your best place in order to help your child who, you know, needs you and loves you so much. And um, so it can lead to increased depression, but it doesn't have to. I think the preparation piece becomes just a lot more important. And um, I would say that you should definitely consider starting therapy before bringing a baby or child home. So that way you just have that with special needs. So that way you just have that like extra layer of support already in place in case things are going, you know, vastly different than you had hoped, or maybe you were kind of led to believe in some situations. It's like, you can get through this and you can do it and your baby or your child will get through this. But that support is really, really, really important. The, you, you've shared some super valuable information and, and tips and guidance. Um, is there anything else you want to share with us about post-adoption depression? Is there something I haven't asked that's important for us to cover? I think, you know, like podcasts like this, and you know, I think a lot of people who are, you know, working with adoption agencies have a lot of access to other people who are in the process and maybe in a different stage than they are talking to them about their experiences and getting information that way can be so much more 
worthwhile than Google sometimes. Cause you know, I like guess like we're Googling and Googling and we're getting more and more worried and anxious, <laughs> but like hearing someone who lived it say like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, that was really hard there for a while, but this is what helped. And now we're doing really good is, is the reality. Right. Whereas like sometimes the internet can be like, everyone's different reality and you can't make sense of it. So I would say, you know, just remember to reach out to people. And if that's hard for you just to start practicing now. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here and for sharing all this super valuable information. Again, listeners, my guest today has been Caitlin Fay, licensed clinical social worker and co-owner of New Growth Counseling. The best way to reach Caitlin is through her website. It's www.newgrowth.com. S as in Sam, T as in Thomas, A as in Apple, newgrowthsta.com. But of course, listeners, most of all, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I hope you've learned something today that will keep you and your loved ones as healthy as possible during the initial weeks and months of parenthood. Take care and I'll catch you next time.